Alawapa, friends, it's the 11th day of speech, the year 175 of the Badi calendar, December 3rd, 2018. Today I'm going to read a passage from Promulgation of Universal Peace by Abdu'l-Baha. It was on pages 163 through 166. It was from a talk at the Church of the Ascension on 5th Avenue and 10th Street in New York back in 1912. In the terminology of the holy books, the church has been called the House of the Covenant for the reason that the church is a place where people of different thoughts and divergent tendencies where all races and nations may come together in a covenant of permanent fellowship. In the temple of the Lord, in the house of God, man must be submissive to God. He must enter into a covenant with his Lord in order that he shall obey the divine commands and become unified with his fellow man. He must not consider divergence of races nor difference of nationalities. He must not view variation in denomination and creed nor should he take into account the differing degrees of thought. Nay, rather, he should look upon all as mankind and realize that all must become united and agreed. He must recognize all as one family, one race, one native land. He must see all as the servants of one God, dwelling beneath the shelter of his mercy. The purport of this is that the church is the collective center, symbols, Temples are symbols of the reality and divinity of God, the collective center of mankind. Consider how within a temple every race and people is seen and represented, all in the presence of the Lord, covenanting together in a covenant of love and fellowship, all offering the same melody, prayer, and supplication to God. Therefore it is evident that the church is the collective center for mankind. For this reason there have been churches and temples in all the divine religions, but the real collective centers are the manifestations of God, of whom the church or temple is a symbol and expression. That is to say, the manifestation of God is the real divine temple and collective center, of which the outer church is but a symbol. Recall the statement of Jesus Christ in the Gospel. Addressing Peter, he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. It is evident, therefore, that the church of God is the law of God, and that the actual edifice is but one symbol thereof. For the law of God is the collective center, which unites various peoples, native lands, tongues, and opinions. All find shelter in its protection and become attracted by it. For example, Moses and the Mosaic Law were the unifying center for the scattered sheep of Israel. He united these wandering flocks, brought them under control of divine law, educated and united them, caused them to agree, and uplifted them to superlative degree of development. At a time when they were debased, they became glorified, ignorant. They were made knowing. In the bonds of captivity, they were given freedom. In short, they were unified. Day by day they advanced until they attained the highest degree of progress witnessed in that age. 
We prove, therefore, that the manifestation of God and the law of God accomplish unity. It is self-evident that humanity is at a variance. Human tastes differ. Thoughts, native lands, races, and tongues are many. The need of a collective center by which these differences may be counterbalanced and the people of the world be unified is obvious. Consider how nothing but a spiritual power can bring about this unification. For material conditions and mental aspects are so widely different that agreement and unity are not possible through outer means. It is possible, however, for all to become unified through one spirit, just as all may receive the light from one sun. Therefore, assisted by the collective and divine center which is the law of God and the reality of his manifestation, we can overcome these conditions until they pass away entirely and the race advances. Consider the time of Christ. Peoples, races, and governments were many. Religions, sects, and denominations were various. But when Christ appeared, the messianic reality proved to be the collective center which unified them beneath the same tabernacle of agreement. Reflect upon this. Could Jesus Christ have unified could have united these divergent factors or brought about such results through political power? Was this unity and agreement possible through material forces? It is evident that it was not. Nay, rather, these various peoples were brought together through a divine power, through the breaths of the Holy Spirit. They were blended and quickened by the infusion of a new life, the spirituality of Christ overcame their difficulties so that their disagreements passed away completely. In this way, these divergent peoples were unified and became welded in a bond of love, which alone can unite hearts. Therefore, it is shown that the divine manifestations, the holy mouthpieces of God, are the collective centers of God. These heavenly messengers are the real shepherds of humanity, for whenever they appear in the world, they unite the scattered sheep. The collective center has always appeared in the Orient. Abraham, Moses, Jesus Christ, Muhammad were collective centers of their day and time, and all arose in the East. Today, Baha'u'llah is the collective center of unity for all mankind, and the splendor of his light has likewise dawned from the East. He, found the oneness of huma he founded the oneness of humanity in Persia. He established harmony and agreement among the various peoples of religious beliefs, denominations, sects, and cults by freeing them from the fetters of past imitations and superstitions, leading them to the very foundation of the divine religions. From this foundation shines forth the radiance of spirituality, which is unity, the love of God, the knowledge of God, praiseworthy morals, and the virtues of the human world. Baha'u'llah renewed these principles, just as the coming of spring refreshes the earth and confers new life upon all phenomenal beings. For the freshness of the former springtimes had waned, the, vivific the vivification had ceased, the life-giving breezes were no longer wafting their fragrances, winter and the season of darkness had come. Baha'u'llah came to renew the life of the world with this new and divine springtime, which has pitched its tent in the countries of the Orient in the utmost power and glory. 
it has refreshed the world of the Orient, and there is no doubt that if the world of the Occident should abandon dogmas of the past, turn away from empty imitations and superstitions, investigate the reality of the divine religions, holding fast to the example of Jesus Christ, acting in accordance with the teachings of God and becoming unified with the Orient, an eternal happiness and felicity would be attained. In the Western world, material civilization has attained the highest point of development, but divine civilization was founded in the land of the East. The East must acquire material civilization from the West, and the West must receive spiritual civilization from the East. This will establish a mutual bond. When these two come together, the world of humanity will present a glorious aspect, and extraordinary progress will be achieved. This is clear and evident. No proof is needed. The degree of material civilization in the Occident cannot be denied, nor can anyone fail to confirm the spiritual civilization of the Orient, for all the divine foundations of human uplift have appeared in the East. This, likewise, is clear and evident. Therefore, you must assist the East in order that it may attain material progress. The East must likewise promulgate principles of spiritual civilization in the Western world. By this commingling and union, the human race will attain the highest degree of prosperity and development. Material civil civilization alone is not sufficient and will not prove productive. The physical happiness of material conditions was allotted to the animal. Consider how the animal has attained the fullest degree of physical felicity. A bird perches upon the loftiest branch and builds there its nest with consummate beauty and skill. All the grains and seeds of the meadows are its wealth and food. All the fresh water of mountain springs and rivers of the plain are for its enjoyment. Truly, this is the acme of material happiness, to which even a human creature cannot attain. This is the honor of the animal kingdom. But the honor of the human kingdom is the attainment of spiritual happiness, in the human world, the acquisition of the knowledge and love of God. The honor allotted to man is the acquisition of the supreme virtues of the human world. This is his real happiness and felicity. But if material happiness and spiritual felicity be conjoined, it will be delight upon delight, as the Arabs say. We pray that God will unite the East and the West in order that these two civilizations may be exchanged and mutually enjoyed. I am sure it will come to pass, for this is the radiant century. This is an age of the outpouring of divine mercy upon the exigency of this new century, the unity of the East and the West. It will surely be accomplished. I'm going to continue our reading of the hidden words of Baha'u'llah with the 41st and 42nd hidden word from the Arabic. O son of man, magnify my cause that I may reveal unto thee the mysteries of my greatness and shine upon thee with the light of eternity. O son of man, humble thyself before me that I may graciously visit thee. Arise for the, tri for the triumph of my cause that will yet on earth that while yet on earth thou mayest attain the victory. And I'm going to read today a prayer from the Baha'i Prayer Book, 
It's a teaching prayer revealed to the Baha'is of the United States and Canada. It's on page 205 to 208. O God, my God, thou seest how black darkness is enshrouding all regions, how all countries are burning with the flame of dissension, and the fire of war and carnage is blazing throughout the east and the west. Blood is flowing, corpses bestrew the ground, and severed heads are fallen on the dust of the battlefield. O Lord, have pity on these ignorant ones, and look upon them with the eye of forgiveness and pardon. Extinguish this fire, so that these dense clouds, which obscure the horizon, may be scattered. The sun of reality shine forth with the rays of conciliation. This intense gloom be dispelled, and the resplendent light of peace shed its radiance upon all countries. O Lord, draw up the people from the abyss of the ocean of hatred and enmity, and deliver them from this impenetrable darkness. Unite their hearts and brighten their eyes with the light of peace and reconciliation. Deliver them from the depths of war and bloodshed, and free them from the darkness of error. Remove the veil from their eyes, and enlighten their hearts with the light of guidance. Treat them with thy tender mercy and compassion, and deal not with them according to thy justice and wrath, which causes the limbs of the mighty to quake. O Lord, wars have persisted, distress and anxiety have waxed great, and every flourishing region is laid waste. O Lord, hearts are heavy and souls are in anguish. Have mercy on these poor souls, and do not leave them to the excesses of their own desires. O Lord, make manifest in thy lands humble and submissive souls, their faces illumined with the rays of guidance, severed from the world, extolling thy name, uttering thy praise, and diffusing the fragrance of thy holiness amongst mankind. O Lord, strengthen their backs gird up their loins, and enrapture their hearts with the most mighty signs of thy love. O Lord, verily they are weak, and thou art the powerful and the mighty. They are impotent, and thou art the helper and the merciful. O Lord, the ocean of rebellion is surging, and these tempests will not be stilled, save through thy boundless grace which hath embraced all regions. O Lord, verily the people are in the abyss of passion, and naught can save them but thine infinite bounties. O Lord, dispel the darkness of these corrupt desires, and illumine the hearts with the lamp of thy love, through which all countries will ere long be enlightened. Confirm moreover thy loved ones, those who, leaving their homelands, their families, and their children, have, for the love of thy beauty, traveled to foreign countries to diffuse thy fragrances, and promulgate thy teachings. Be thou their companion in their loneliness, their helper in a strange land, the remover of their sorrows, their comforter in calamity. Be thou a refreshing draught for their thirst, a healing medicine for their ills, and a balm for the burning ardor of their hearts. Verily thou art the most generous, the Lord of grace abounding, and verily thou art the compassionate and the merciful. Abba Baha. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Scattering Angels. I hope to have you back during the next episode. Have a beautiful day.